Good morning, Covenant. It's great to see you all this morning. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have Mrs. Pat Hatch with us at Covenant these past few days. Her words have challenged and encouraged us. Um, Pat has dedicated her life to work with immigrants and refugees. After teaching in South Korea, where her husband was stationed, she volunteered back in the US, tutoring immigrant children and helping resettle refugees from Vietnam. A few years later, she started a nonprofit organization to serve immigrants, which she directed for 16 years. She then had the opportunity to manage programs through the State Refugee Office, at that time known as the Maryland Office for New Americans, now the Maryland Office for Refugees and Asylees, until her retirement in 2011. But she retired, but she wasn't done with this work. She still spoke at conferences and worked with churches to assist them in understanding immigration, reaching out to immigrants and refugees. And then in 2014, Mission to North America, which is an arm of the Presbyterian Church in America, created a position for Pat as the Refugee and Immigrant Ministry Director. She's been working there since then. Pat's love for Christ Church and his kingdom, her desire for the church to serve those who are vulnerable, and her care for those who we often consider outsiders, is a challenge to all of us. Would you please join me in welcoming Mrs. Pat Hatch. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? You there in the front row are going to have to pretend I'm here because I'm going to disappear before the podium, right? <laughs> and that song that you sang, Lord, How I Need You, when I look out at all of your faces, boy, do I need him this morning. You are by far the largest group I've ever spoken to. So I am privileged to be here and I'm grateful to God for this chance. So a lot of you have been to a few events uh, this week about immigration. Some of you haven't had that chance yet. Um, but immigration is really a hot topic this week, right? And the irony of it is four months ago before the election is when we started to plan my coming this week. So we had no idea what the outcome of the election would be. We certainly had no idea about any executive orders, but the Lord knew all of that. And he knew that this might be a time when you might wanna pay a little bit of attention to refugee and immigrant issues. So I'm grateful to God for his foresight in knowing that this would be the ideal time for us to talk about these issues. So there's a lot of discussion about immigration, a very, very um, politically charged topic. And so I'm, what I hope we can do is back up a little and look at what the Lord has to say about the alien and how we can fit our own response to refugees and immigrants, to anyone that we consider the other, um, within the biblical framework, as God calls us to have the mind of Christ as we approach anyone. So let's start to do that. First of all, what does scripture say? And you guys know your Bibles very well, I'm sure, here at Covenant. So if you had to choose one passage that was what all of human history was headed toward, what might that be? Now, some of you know the answer because you've already been, you've got the cheat sheet. You've already been to some of the presentations before, but you know my choice. So my choice would be Revelation 7, 9, and 10. People of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before the throne of God, saying salvation belongs to our God 
uh, worthy is the lamb and people from every tribe tongue and nation now how is that supposed to happen um, Christ came to earth and he came to a very specific area of the world right it wasn't the US right it was a very different area of the world and yet sometimes we think that we kind of own him um, and that that of course if Christ could choose today this is the only place he would land right <laughs> all right so uh, just thinking about that um, how is it supposed to happen that people of every tribe tongue and nation are supposed to be before the throne how are they to come to know him um, Christ didn't leave us in the dark as to what his intentions were when he gave us the Great Commission. What did he say? Go, therefore, and disciple all nations. Now, translation is a tricky thing, right? Different translations read slightly differently. And there are a few translations that instead of saying, go, say, as you go. Now, that might change it slightly. And instead of saying to all nations, it says to all people groups. Now, when you think about people groups, we are a nation full of people groups. We have people from all over the world who have come here. So if we're considering that the Great Commission says, as you go, make disciples of all people groups, then that could be anyone, anyone whatsoever. And it could be a mandate not just for those chosen few to go far away, but it could be a biblical mandate for every single believer, wherever they happen to be at any point in their time. In Acts 17, God says that he is the one that sets the boundaries of people's dwelling places, and he is the one that sets people on the move and whatever their reason for moving is, his sovereign purposes are in wor at work in that movement. And his purpose in their moving is to move them to somewhere where they can seek him and find him. So if we think about the way that God has used the movement of people, think about the way that he told Abraham to move, Think about how the Jews were in exile and then that they moved. Think in the New Testament about how this, the church was scattered uh, by persecution and how God used that movement to start churches all over. God has always used the movement of people. Um, I don't know if you know much about the church at Antioch, but the church of Antioch unlike the church in Jerusalem, was a very diverse church. It had diverse leadership, it had diverse membership, and people looking in at the church of Antioch had to wonder what was going on there. It didn't look like an affinity group. It didn't look like a group of people who are all alike, who are getting together for a get-together. And unfortunately, that's the way our churches sometimes look to unbelievers. They look like maybe a rotary club or maybe a chess club or just a group of people who are kind of like each other and therefore sure they want to hang out together to un the unbelieving world the church often looks very much like that but the church at Antioch could not be explained that way because they were people who had to try very hard to like each other there were Greeks and Jews there were people from Africa there were people from a, 
all over the region, and they had to work at loving one another, but they were doing it. And the power that was coming out of that work together was obvious to the unbeliever as being the power of Christ. So it's no, no um, accident, I think, that the people in Antioch, the church at Antioch, were the first people to be called Christians. Outsiders looking in said, what explains this? People who are so different from each other, and yet they're loving one another, what explains that? Well, they, they got curious, and the more they found out, the more they found out that the only thing they had in common was Christ. That was the only thing that they all shared. And therefore, they started calling them after Christ. And that, I think, is what God designed the church to be like. When Christ, uh, the night before he was crucified, prayed his high priestly prayer, now, he could have prayed for any number of things, right? He was looking not just at his believers, his disciples right then. He was looking far into the future and all future believers. God gave him that perspective. He himself, being God, had that perspective. And he was praying not just for his immediate disciples, but for the future of believers in the church. And his prayer was for unity unity among diverse believers and he said may they be one as we are one the father so that now pay attention to that so that so that the world might know that i am he i am the one that i claim to be i am god so how are we to spread the gospel we are to be united with people who are very different from us within the church, loving them, so that people will wonder, what is it that is making people so different from one another really love one another? And that will be when God really acts in great power, because that will be the church as Christ really conceived it to be. So when God gives us a command, often we think, well, you know, when he commands us to love one another, well, that's, you know, that's lucky for the person who's, who's my friend because I get to, I love them, and that's their benefit, right? Right? But when God gives us a command, it's for our benefit as well as for their benefit. So think of some of those Old Testament dietary laws. So at the time they were given, people didn't really know why you shouldn't eat uncooked pork you know but looking back now that we know a lot more about nutrition about uh, safety food safety we say well of course god was protecting his people right but with commands other commands that he's given us it might not be immediately obvious to us why he's giving us those commands so welcoming the stranger well who's that going to benefit well yeah obviously it'll, it'll benefit the stranger whoever we consider to be the stranger. But what if God's plan is to benefit not just that stranger, but to benefit each of us as well? When we become a believer, how come God doesn't just swoop us up to heaven? That would be so much easier, wouldn't it? None of the hard work. 
I think he wants to increase our capacity to love him forever, to enjoy him forever. And I think in order for that to happen, there's hard work that has to happen, the hard work of sanctification. If you think back to the times in your life when you grew the most spiritually, if you're like me, those were not times you would have chosen to go through. There were probably times that you would have run in the opposite direction like Jonah if you'd known what was coming. But God uses those hard times to kind of polish us and to make us more like himself. If we stay in our comfort zone, sanctification is a slow, painful process. If we get out of our comfort zone and we allow the Lord to help us to obey him in loving the stranger, he starts that work of sanctification and no, it won't be easy, but it will be in the end. Uh, if you're a long-term investor, you're investing in eternity. So an illustration that I've used before is if someone came to you and said, all right, you dig, dig, dig a hole there. Uh, if it were me, I would take a, a shovel and I'd probably take maybe one or two shovels full and they said, there, I dug my hole. Now, what if they said, dig a hole and I'm going to fill it with gold or fill it with cash, one or the other, right? Would, would our approach be a little bit different? I think we dig a little bit deeper then, right? Well, I think that's what it is when the Lord gives us commands that he wants us to obey. We can just do kind of a cursory obedience and do just enough so that we think we've obeyed the letter of the law. Or we can do the deep digging that will really result in him making us more like himself. And it's when we do that deep digging that we are uh, accruing his pleasure for all of eternity. Another example I like to use is, suppose you were invited to a big event and the featured person at that big event was your hero or your shero, either one, all right? And you just cannot wait to get to that big event and you wanna be sure to get there before they close the gate because lots of people are gonna to wanna to get there. And so you're in a hurry to get there, but you're a little late getting started and there's lots of traffic, okay? And so you're getting closer, but you're watching the time and gosh, they're gonna close that gate soon. So, so you cut in front of somebody and you really make a sharp cut in front of their car, right? And just on the way past them, you catch a glimpse of their face and you think, boy, hope I never meet that person again, right? <laughs> And then you get to the party and you make it before the gate closed and oh, it feels really great to be there. And you know, everybody's paying attention to this uh, hero or shero and you're trying to get closer to them. And all of a sudden that person says, I'd like everybody's attention for a minute, please. I'd like to introduce you to our guest of honor. And you're thinking, wait a minute, they're not the guest of honor. What, do they, what are they talking about, the guest of honor? And guess who the guest of honor is? That person that you cut off on the highway that you hoped you would never, ever see again, right? I think it's kind of that way when God told us, when Christ told us to love the least of these, those that are the most invisible to us, the poor, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, 
those are the ones that are dearest to his heart. Those are the ones that are going to be his guest at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And when we're there at that wedding feast, are we going to be able, when he says, I was a stranger, did you welcome me? Are we going to say, yes, Lord, I'm so glad I was welcoming those strangers that I didn't know were you. Or are we going to say, Lord, how was I supposed to know you were that stranger? Hopefully the former. Hopefully we're going to say, yes, Lord, those were close to my heart too. And I showed it in my actions and my reactions to them. So let's look a little bit for a minute at the Lord's wisdom in bringing people from other countries here. So people who remain in their homeland are often more resistant to the gospel because the people who leave are the people who, number one, are more curious. They tend to be the risk takers. They tend to be the people who are most open to other cultures. And when they get here, they tend to be the people who are the most eager for friendship, for any kind of genuine friendship. Now, think of your missionaries going abroad and think of some of the resistance that they may be finding there. It takes years for them to establish trust in many of the areas where we send our missionaries to. So God is bringing to us people who are doing the culture crossing themselves, and they're right across the street from us, right in our neighborhood. They may be our Uber driver. They may be uh, somebody working at Starbucks or somebody working uh, down in town, someplace that you frequent fr often. Um, those people are people that are, first of all, people created in the image of God. And secondly, persons for whom Christ died, so of extreme value to God, just as much as we ourselves are. And so when we reach out and love them, we are not only helping them, we're helping ourselves as well. Uh, so I think what God has done is kind of turned mission inside out. Now, don't mistake me, because as long as, until Christ comes again, there will always be a need for foreign missions. But he has kind of turned missions inside out by bringing the world to us. And, you know, for generations, your parent, parents and grandparents have sung, we have a story to tell the, to the nations. And we ourselves sing lots of praise songs about um, how we want to show God's compassion to the world. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we want that to happen only if the stranger remains at a distance and we can send somebody else to do that reaching out? I once heard a missionary speak who said that he was a missionary to Indonesia and he said that there um, was a young man who came to him and said, uh, the Lord has really laid it on my heart to go to Indonesia, so I really want to talk with you and get some information about people groups and how to reach them. And so the, he said they had a really good talk. And then he said to him, you know, there's an Indonesian group that lives about 30 miles from here. They're an immigrant group, and they live fairly close together in one apartment complex. I would really recommend that you spend some time in that area. 
And he said, the young man said to him, well, I don't know, you know, that's 30 minutes away and I lead a pretty busy life. And he said, and the Lord has laid these people on your heart? So sometimes we need to think about missions starting right where we are instead of thinking about having to go abroad think well maybe it starts right here and now and maybe i seek out opportunities that the lord has put right in my neighborhood or maybe i look for a summer internship at friends of refugees or for the nations or another place where i can deliberately make some genuine redemptive friendships and it's through those genuine redemptive friendships that the Lord will continue to work in your heart and show you what his intent for you is. Now, I don't begin to think that the Lord is going to call all of you to work with refugees or immigrants. That would be totally unrealistic, right? But I don't think any single one of us is exempt from his command to love the stranger to love the poor, to love the widow, and love the orphan. That is his mandate for every believer. And you know, in Matthew 25, we love to, to quote the part that's, uh, you know, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me, but we kind of ignore the part that says, in as much as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And those verses around that are pretty scary. Depart from me, you wicked, into the fires prepared for the devil and all his angels. Those are not the kind of exhortations that we should take very lightly. And while I truly believe that everyone who has committed their life to Christ is going to be in heaven, I think it's going to be a little bit like that party. Our capacity to enjoy his presence forever I think is going to be a, a, a product of how much we have allowed him to sanctify us and how much of that deeper digging we have done to allow him to fill it with gold. So how can we get started? <laughs> if you have never uh, been involved in loving the stranger before, uh, God gives you plenty of opportunities, and, and the opportunities can start. I talked uh, two weeks ago with a young woman who's a member of the ARP church, and she is their refugee coordinator. And she was coming to Columbia, Maryland, where I live, to meet with me to talk about some strategies and things we could do to get more churches involved with loving the refugee. And as she came to meet me at a Starbucks, she had an Uber driver who was Ethiopian. And she had a conversation with him, and in that conversation, he was challenging her faith and asking whether or not she really believed all that stuff about Jesus rising from the dead, etc. And so she said, I really shared with him openly what God was doing in my life and how that was proof to me that his word was true. And then she said, I said to him, how about you? Do you have a faith? And he said, well, you know, ever since a child, I've been raised as an Orthodox Christian. But he said, it's just kind of a title, and I'm really not sure about that at all. But he says, you know, our conversations got me thinking a little bit. You know, you seem pretty genuine. Maybe I'll check it out again. 
So that's just one short Uber ride, but it may have planted a seed that for somebody could result in them digging deeper into scripture. There are so many opportunities. God brings international students to covenant during their first few years here, especially during those first few months, they can be intensely, intensely lonely. Now, some of you guys are lonely too because you may be missing your, your family, of course. Everybody is, especially freshman year, right? But intensify that by knowing that family is continents away and that you may not get to see them again for two years or more. And that when spring break comes, they've got no place to go. Or when Christmas comes, there's no place to go. You've got the opportunity to really develop genuine friendships with internationals who are believers. And that's the other point. God doesn't just move unbelievers to believers. He also moves believers to believers. And we're told that they are part of the body of Christ. They're an integral part of the body of Christ, right? They may be that missing hand or foot for your church. That if your church is limping along, it may be because their foot is missing because they haven't welcomed that stranger who's just the foot they're looking for, or that arm or that right hand, right? So I was going along in ministry and I was totally disconnected from social media altogether. I was the Facebook resistor all the way, even though I've got grandkids who say, ah, oh, Grandma, get on Facebook if you want to know what's going on in our lives, right? But I was resistant, totally resistant to Facebook. So one day I got a call from a Korean pastor and his wife, and they asked if I could meet with them. And so I'm used to pastors giving a call, and I usually go and meet with them, and we talk about something that they're doing in ministry or would like to do. So I said, sure, and I met them halfway. They live in Virginia. I live in Columbia, Maryland. We met down in Silver Spring. We were having coffee and had a nice chat. And then I said, now, how can I be of service? And they looked at me and they said, oh, no, you've got the wrong impression. The Lord told us to give you a Facebook page. I said, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, it's too bad this place doesn't have Wi-Fi. You could have it right now. He brought his laptop so he could set it up for me. He said, um, can you send me your logo and you'll have the Facebook page by this afternoon. <laughs> I didn't know that that Korean pastor was my missing, missing right hand. But now that I've got a Facebook page for the ministry, I can't imagine doing ministry without it. So believers from other nations bring with them all kinds of insights all kinds of talents that we may be very much in need of and that we're missing out of if we don't welcome them and get to know them much better so when you think about foreign missions once again when you think about missions instead of thinking just about the model of missions of paul's missionary journey where we send out, the church sends out Paul and Silas, right, to go far away, and the church feels really good about the fact that they raise the money for Paul and Silas's journey. Instead of thinking about that, let's think about Peter and Cornelius. The Lord had to give Peter a pretty dramatic dream, didn't he? In order to persuade him to go down the road a bit to meet with Cornelius, 
who was already living pretty much in the neighborhood, right? All right, so let's think about both types of mission. But where we are right now, God has sent some people, and they may be the Cornelius that he wants us to reach out to. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about uh, fear of, um, of terrorists being among the refugees or the immigrants. Let's think about Paul for a minute. Who was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul, right? He was the persecutor of the church. People had every right to be afraid of Saul, right? But then God intervened in his life, and eventually the churches welcomed him. And look at what his heritage is. Look at how much of scripture that we have is on account of that terrorist that the Lord worked in. Now, if we think about people coming to our country from other countries, first of all, refugees are vetted through five different government agencies, extremely vetted. In addition to that, if we realize that people who are welcomed are much less likely than people who are marginalized. People who are welcomed are much less likely than people who are marginalized to be recruited to endanger our country. So people are coming. If we do not obey God's command and we marginalize them, we ignore them, we look through them, pretend they're not there, or even worse, treat them badly, we are marginalizing them and we are making them candidates for recruitment. But if we love them, in obedience to the command of Christ. They may be the future Paul. They could be the real key, not only to believers here coming to know him, but start a people movement to Christ back in their homeland as well. They may be that bridge builder. So could we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And Father, we do want our hearts to be shaped by you. Help us, Lord, to be willing to do that deep digging to allow you to transform our lives so that people all around us will see and realize that you are who you claim to be and that they too will come to know you. That's on that great day when we're worshiping before the throne, we will look and see several who are there because we obeyed your command to love the stranger. For we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>